0: Hi, welcome to season three of the a Podcast, where we translate science into sense so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read lengthy journal articles or reports. I'm Danielle Roods, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. ace is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. What is a life Worth. What are we willing to do to save one person's life? To keep one family from having to get the worst call a family can get? To keep one family from having to live with the unending grief of loss? How about 100 lives? Or 1,000? Or how about 1,840 lives? That's the number of lives a team of researchers at Brown University estimated could be saved each year by providing medications for OUD to people while they are incarcerated. If those people were also retained in treatment post-release, that number more than doubles to 4,400 lives. It can be hard to know what would happen if we made certain different policy choices. Often a program starts with a theory and then that program has developers that create a logic model that shows how the program might get us to the outcome we want. Then we implement the program of study and study the results to see if the program worked. Another approach is to estimate the impact of a program using simulation. A simulation model can help us answer the what if question. In this case, What if we provided medications for opioid use disorder while people were incarcerated? And what if we successfully connected those people to treatment upon release? In England, investigators found that providing medications for OUD to people while they were incarcerated reduced drug-related poisoning deaths post-release by 31% when comparing them to incarcerated individuals who did not receive medications while incarcerated. In New South Wales, Australia, investigators documented a 74% reduction in accidental drug-induced deaths when comparing those who had received medications for OUD while incarcerated and remained in treatment post-release to those who had not. So what might we expect the impact to be if we did this in the United States? The research team sought to estimate the expected reduction in opioid-related overdose deaths if wide-scale uptake of screening and medications for OUD had occurred in all U.S. prisons and jails in 2016. They started with the assumption that the effects would be similar to those observed in England and Australia. They wanted to produce two counterfactuals, or alternative history. They said... What would have happened if all persons who were clinically indicated as having an OUD received medications for OUD while incarcerated? And what would have happened if all persons who were clinically indicated received medications for OUD while incarcerated and were retained in treatment post-release? First, they used data from the National Center for Health Statistics database to determine the total number of opioid overdose deaths for each state in 2016. How did they know how to count something like an overdose death? They use codes from the International Classification of Diseases, 10th revision. This means any deaths whose contributing cause was classified as opium, heroin, natural and/or s- semi-synthetic opioids, methadone, synthetic opioids other than methadone, or other and unspecified narcotics counted as an opioid overdose death. Once they had this total number, they needed to estimate how many of those deaths likely occurred in the post-release period following incarceration. To get this number, they multiplied the total number of opioid-related overdose deaths in each state by the proportion expected to occur during the one-year post-release period. Where did this proportion come from? This proportion was derived from several groundbreaking studies, including estimates from North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Washington, and Rhode Island, and ranged from 3% to 25%. Most of these studies we have noted in several past podcasts, as they famously showed the specific vulnerability of people reentering society after incarceration. So you might be thinking, well, uh, there's a big difference between 3% and 25%, and that is true. To get the most likely proportion, the research team used a Monte Carlo simulation. This essentially creates a range of possible outcomes and the probabilities they will occur. They drew values from a uniform distribution ranging from 3 to 25%. This simulation process was repeated 10,000 times for each state. This process allowed the team to competently estimate how many opioid-related deaths likely happen in the post-release period in each state. Once they had this number for each state, then they calculated the number of overdose deaths expected under a counterfactual scenario, where all persons who are clinically indicated receive medications for OUD while incarcerated in 2016. They used the data from England showing a 31% reduction in drug-related poisoning deaths post-release when compared to those who received medications for OUD while incarcerated to those who had not. From this data, they created a normal distribution, the potential percent reduction in opioid overdose mortality attributable to providing medications for OUD in correctional settings, and then implemented a process of randomly selecting the percent reduction from the normal distribution using Monte Carlo simulations. This process was repeated 10,000 times for each state to yield the expected number of opioid-related overdose deaths among individuals within a year post-release, had wide-scale uptake of screening and medications for OUD occurred in prisons and jails in 2016, and finally... They used the difference between this estimate and the previously calculated estimate of the number of opioid-related overdose deaths post-release, in which no medications for OUD programs were implemented, broadly reflecting real-world conditions in 2016, to estimate the number of lives that could have been saved if there was wide-scale uptake of screening and medications for OUD in prisons and jails. They added the state totals together to get a total national estimate of 1,800 and 40 lives. They use these same steps to calculate the potential lives saved when you provide medications for opioid use disorder in correctional settings and retain people on treatment post-release. This distribution was derived using data from Australia, which, as a reminder, reported a 74% reduction in accidental drug-induced deaths when comparing those who had received medication for OUD while incarcerated and were retained in post release treatment as compared to those who were not, where, again, they estimated a total of 4,400 lives that could have been saved. Using data from England, the team conservatively estimated the number of lives that might've been saved by providing medications for OUD in prisons and jails alone. And using data from Australia, they calculated a more ambitious estimate of the number of lives that might've been saved by combining medications for OUD in prisons and jails and post-release retention in treatment. Prison, and jail-based programs that comprehensively screen and provide treatment with medications for OUD have the potential to save thousands of lives in high-risk populations, however. Retention on treatment post-release is key. It is a key driver of population-level impact. So again, we have to ask, how much is a life worth? And what are we willing to demand of our systems to help save that many lives? As the opioid epidemic continues to worsen, this is a question that should remain at the forefront of our policy decision-making. If we know what saves lives, why aren't we doing it? And what will it take to get us where we need to be? That wraps another episode of the Aced it podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACETIT is part of the NIDA funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. You can find ACETIT on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, really anywhere that you'd normally find podcasts. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACETIT.